Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. All right, hey, welcome to Beyond Reality Paranormal Talk Radio. I'm Evan Jensen, the host for this in queue is the infamous Jan Reynolds and the infamous Kelly Griffin, the actual host of the show. Today we'll be interviewing a young woman by the name of Jenny Maher. It is her story and her novel in a book that she wrote called Never Give Up that speaks directly about Growing up with mental illness, she's going to talk about what happened, how she got shot at point-blank range in the face, but survived those uh, odds, and she's in queue today. So let's hear from uh, Jenny Mayer. Jenny Mayer, welcome to Beyond Reality Paranormal Talk Radio. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, hey, it's a pleasure to have you on. Yes. <laughs> So, can you take us back to that day, Jenny, that one day where you called 911 asking for help? Can you take, can you, do you mind going back to that one day where you called 911 asking for help and kind of share what happened from the 911 call you made? Yeah, I was um, living at home alone, and I was diagnosed with bipolar depression, and I was all, I had no one to talk to, and I was upset. So I called 911 just to talk to someone to calm me down and kind of make me feel better. And they tried to make, they thought that I was suicidal, and I wasn't suicidal. So I hung up the phone with them, and I just went to take a walk. This was late at night. I went to take a walk, and I happened to see a police car drive by. And so I was afraid of the police because of growing up, I had problems, the police take, putting me in a foster home. So I didn't really trust the police. So mm-hmm. I went back to the house. I called the hotline back and I told them, you know, I'm fine. I'm not suicidal. Just leave me alone. I'm okay and everything. And there's, they at one point said, so you're going to kill a cop. And I was, I told him, no, I didn't say that I'm not going to kill anybody. And so I got scared and I hung up the phone and I ran across the street and hid behind a bush so that I could still see the front of my house and I had all the lights out and everything. And they brought like three squad cars and I could see their flashlights going through my house. So I was really scared. And they finally drove away and I was planning on just going back home and trying to just put everything behind me and when I got back home the I heard a knock at their front door and I knew it was the police and it, I went to run out the back door which was through the garage and there was an officer right there and right away he pulled his gun on me and I didn't have any weapons on me or anything so I 
went back into the back of my garage, and it, I did have a little three-inch folding knife, so I pulled that out, and I was just, they started bringing more police, and it just really got out of control. They had a sergeant in, in the garage halfway talking to me, trying to calm me down, and I was right. telling them to just shoot me, and they had, it, it went totally out of control with, they had canine out there in my backyard going across, and I was 21, like 120 pounds, so I wasn't that big, and they finally, the chief came out of the department and finally told the sergeant, and this was after like an hour maybe, told the sergeant to clear out of the way that they were going to bring in SWAT, and right away when he said they're going to bring in SWAT, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, the whole tear gas and them coming in with shotguns and all this stuff. So I panicked and I went to pull a fire extinguisher that was hanging on the garage door and it had the long hose. So the only, when I went to shoot it, the pin was still in. So I had to drop the knife and I pulled the pin and I sprayed the fire extinguisher thinking that if I sprayed it, then I can get out, which is stupid now, but so I sprayed it, and then I saw a flash, and I fell to the ground. I fell against my car and fell to the ground, and I didn't know I was hit or I was shot. And I looked down, and I saw these little droplets of blood coming out from my mouth. And they went, they came in right away, handcuffed me. They, they picked me up, took me outside, and they flipped me over on my back. And when they flipped me over on my back, I was, I couldn't, I was having trouble breathing. So they flipped me over on my chest, and I remember the grass was poking in under my chin and it hurt really badly, but my, it didn't, my face didn't hurt. It just hurt where the, where the grass was poking. And so finally the air life came and the paramedics came and they got mad at them for having me like that. And they took the handcuffs off. They put me on my side and they air me to the hospital. And immediately they went into surgery and I had to have IOS trach so I had a trach in my throat because I stopped breathing during surgery I had to have they they ended up shooting me with a 45 hollow point so that it went in my mouth and because my mouth was closed it went down at an angle so it went through my jaw out at the bottom and if my mouth would have been open it would have killed me instantly and that's, so that's that's, see, that's horrific Jay I can't imagine I did not even realize that Police use all points. Um, right, yeah, they're not allowed to anymore. But this was back in ninety six or something like that. They're, yeah. they're not allowed to anymore. What? Okay, so so the paramedics come. They find you there. You're obviously laying in a pool of your own blood. But you're you're handcuffed, no doubt. Uh, the paramedics are upset because of the way they left you. Um, go on from there. So, so I'm at the hospital, and they had, they're getting me ready for surgery. I still can't feel anything in my jaw, but I can't talk. And I'm breathing fine. I just can't talk. There's a lot of blood. And the, the doctors are all around me, and they just ask me if I have any allergies. And I, they take me in surgery right away. And when I come out, I don't know if it's the next day or later that morning or whatever, but... I have a a halo all around my jaw, so I have six pins coming out of my jaw holding it together. I have a trach in my throat to breathing for me, and my face is you know just all messed up my lip my lip is 
stitched up from where the bullet went through, and outside are all these police officers sitting out there. And at this point, I wasn't charged yet. But the, the next day when they brought me upstairs, they uh, immediately, after one day, and now I'm on morphine, you know, I'm, they had me, they handcuffed me to the bed. They put a officer in the room sitting next to me, and they charged me with attempted murder and assault of a police officer. And so they charged you with attempted murder and assault of a police officer. Uh, wow. Which I, I never understood. And Yeah. Yeah. And they, they, I was in the hospital for two weeks before they, they wouldn't give me any phone calls, visitor, visitors, you know, anything from outside at all. And and so it's like I I have this, you know, throat breathing from my throat, handcuffed to the bed, and it's like, yeah. where am I going to go, you know? Yeah, so, so they, you're in the hospital bed and you were still handcuffed at this time? Yeah, and they had a guard sitting right next to the bed next to well, me. Well, where the hell could you go? I know, <laughs> I know, it was crazy. And so forth. Unreal. Yeah, and no, they wouldn't let my, they wouldn't let anyone visit me. My mom couldn't visit me. Nobody could visit me. I couldn't have phone calls. I couldn't do any. I was just sat there and read or whatever. Well, what and about this, due process? Where does that come in? I mean, you're allowed visitation. I know. Uh, what about legal counsel? I know. I mean, I didn't have legal <laughs> counsel yet because I mean, this just happened. Nobody. We, they brought a judge and a defense lawyer to the hospital bed to charge me. But yeah. I couldn't even talk because I had this, I had my, a tube in my throat, so I couldn't even talk. So I'm just like, you know, sitting there not knowing. I finally got a lawyer, but, you know, the lawyer couldn't do much. It just wrote out what happened. Mm-hmm. Well, so they, I mean, they, I was there two weeks, and they, they gave me the pajama, the the clothes that you wear to jail, and they handcuffed my ankles, they handcuffed my arms behind my back, and I still have this halo around around my jaw, and they're mm-hmm. not even, when I'm walking to the car, they're not even holding on to me, so I almost fell face into the ground, but th- I found out later that the sergeant, all of them were just fine, like uh, $600 or something like that for what happened. So... Oh, wait, so that was obviously must have been some kind of inquiry, and you said they they fined the officer six hundred bucks for shooting you in the face. Yeah, the sergeant, the officer that shot me, and the chief that I guess made the decision all got fined between three and six hundred dollars, and there's no investigation. They they even I went to the preliminary <laughs> hearing. And they gave me a $150,000 bond. And this is, I just got out of the Air Force like two years before. And so I got a $150,000 bond it, or at the preliminary hearing. And I didn't, I didn't have the money for that. So I, had, so I stayed in jail. Mm-hmm. For, so I did a speedy trial. And I had to get, I've had multiple surgeries while I was in prison. I, I had to get my, I ended up, after the halo came off, my jaw was wired shut, and they didn't have the, the right kind of food that I could eat. So I was basically just eating pudding and 
and then they, I went through all, multiple surgeries. So I was in jail for most of everything. And then after exactly six months, when I was getting ready to go to trial, they dropped the charges, and they said that they had lost the tape saying that I said I was going to shoot a cop and that they were were willing to drop it down to misdemeanor deferred judgment assault. So right now on my record, I have misdemeanor assault on my record. Okay, that's basically a citation. But I find it very ironic that, you know, obviously they were in the wrong here. It's quite yeah. clear based on what they did and how they did it and so forth. Uh, isn't that ironic, Jenny, how they can say, oh, hey, we know we lost we lost the video of you saying that, and you say that you never said it, so therefore they never had the damn video. Um, it, it, I don't know what to say. I mean, I'm, I'm taken back by the whole thing. I, I can't imagine what you've gone through based on the actions of a trigger-happy cop, and, and you know, I'm not trying to ding on, on police because there are some very good people out there, but there are instances where, you know, they just, I don't know, they just don't think properly or, or you know, and um, this case that you're talking about here is one that I'm pretty sure I'm going to remember for a long time. I can't imagine the struggles that you've dealt with from from the very beginning. I mean, here you are in the hospital, you're shackled, you've got cops outside, you've got criminal charges of attempted murder, which is really serious, carries a long jail sentence, maybe even yeah. life, who knows. And at the same time, you're trying to survive. Yes. I, I, I can't imagine. How do you overcome something like this? What motivates well, you to survive with these kinds of odds? Well, during that time, I was, I mean, it affected me really bad. And even while I was in jail, there are at times I, I wanted to end my life. That there's a lot of times while I was in jail, I was trying to find out, find ways to end my life because, I mean, I didn't have any visitors. I didn't have, and it wasn't. I mean, I'm in all this pain, and they couldn't really take care of me, and and just the treatment. I mean, that I was treated like in prison, in jail, yeah. and so. Uh, it was it was really hard going through everything. The whole six months felt like forever because there's nothing really to do. Thankfully, there were some good sergeants in there that would help me out and give me like and the social workers would help me out and let me go outside by myself and kind of do some things and you know give gave me time and stuff. But yeah. going through through that experience, through the just the pain and just the treatment of some of the even the deputies there, I was I was mistreated there and it was. It was just really hard. I mean, I was after I got out at six months, I had to go into uh, the inpatient mental health to to get back to a normal state of mind. But if that was, I mean, I've I've been going through with this dealing with the having this mental illness and just having the uh, instability just throughout my life since. Yeah, you had mentioned something earlier when when you and I were chatting, and you had mentioned that the you, was it a small town you were from, and you actually knew the people, the officers involved, and they knew you, and there was something about sports involved. Can you can you go back and tell me a little bit about that? About what? Uh, you said that when we were talking earlier, you know, when we were getting to know each other, that. 
that you had known these officers and they knew you? Is it because of a uh, small town correlation, or, or can you you know share a little bit more about that? Well, the the when the op- the officer that first arrived on the mm-hmm. scene, I actually played softball with him. We were on the same softball team, and we knew each other. And when the uh, when the chief came, he actually tapped my friend on the shoulder, and my and he was calling me down. And he went and told me that he had to go to his car to get a book. And I was later told that the chief actually told him to get in his squad car and go up and down the street to make me think there was more police out there to kind of psych me out, which it did. It made it worse. So they were playing these mind games to, I don't know, I guess, think me drop everything and just go with them. And and even the, sar- the sergeant that was in the garage talking to me, when he was calming me down, the chief was like, no, 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 we're not continuing this on. Come on out here. We're going to call in SWAT. I mean, just the whole handling that this chief Want the way he wanted to handle it, he just didn't care, and they just wanted to do it the way they wanted to do it. And this is this was in Aurora, Colorado, where the the you know this was a while ago, but back then the police officers there were not the best police officers, and there was there was a lot of instances with the police treating people wrong and stuff like that. So this is so this was over of Denver. So there was a lot of what I guess you could call it just straight up police brutality back then. Yeah, because it was also the way they handled it after I got shot. I mean, I'm shot. Where am I going to go? You know, and then they just you know mm-hmm. carrying me out and the handcuffs behind my back and I'm almost you know choking on my own blood. So I mean, just the way they handled it in general. Like I mean, they know I have a mental illness because I'm calling into the hotline. So you know. Why are you going to, you know, make me more aggravated or, you know, get someone out there that knows about mental illness to, you know, talk to me as a person, not, you know, threatening me with all this stuff to try and scare me? Yeah, it sounds like they either purposely and vindictively aggravated the situation or they were just very untrained professionals. I don't know what else you could call it. Yeah. And then there was a newspaper article that I I heard about later that it says knife welding woman gets shot by police officer, and I was just like, so they you know changed it around to make it look like when actuality that they I didn't even have the knife because it was because I had to spray the fire extinguisher so they ended up taking a picture and of the crime scene and somehow the knife got next to where the blood was which. In actuality, there's no possible way I can hold a knife and hold the fire extinguisher and shoot the fire extinguisher at the same time. Yeah, so let me guess. They probably had pictures of you. They probably, I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't put, and I don't know this yet, but did they put pictures of you and the knife together and then, and then make that the crime scene? They just did the blood, the blood spot, the blood splatter on the ground, and they had the blood splatter and took pictures of that, and then they had the knife next to the blood. Wow! And then, you know, a serious cover up right there. I mean, here, here's the thing: it looks to me that they, they shoot you like that, and then and you survive. You get airlifted to the hospital. You survive there. 
Uh, and then they keep you from seeing relatives and anybody that you can talk to. In the meantime, they're covering their damn asses. Right. And and it's like at their preliminary hearing, it was all, only they had the police officers go up in the stands and talk about me, what happened. But I couldn't, I didn't have anyone to say, there was no defense for me. So it was like the the judge would only hear what the officers had to say, and that was it. Yeah, one-sided. They call that being railroaded. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's amazing that they didn't allow you to get your, your story out to your book and never give up because, I mean, you are exposing what happened. And it's amazing that they didn't try to put um, a hole on your book or try to disrupt that. Or did you ever have any... Any responses after you know uh, all this? I mean, did you? you no, because you have a you have a time frame where you can to, can press charges against the police. And like I said, they have six. You have six months to press charges. So right when that six month date came up, when I was in jail, that's when they dropped the charges down to misdemeanor. How long were you in jail again? Six months. I was ready to go to trial because I was going to have a speedy trial because I knew I wasn't going to, I didn't do anything. So that was when, right at six months, when it would have been too late for me to press charges, that's when they dropped it down to misdemeanor assault. And they gave me six years probation. And it's like, you're giving me misdemeanor assault, but you're giving me six years probation. Man, and they only find the cops 600 bucks? Yeah, they they only heard, and they... Yeah, they they got they were on you know paid leave during the investigation, but not, nobody came and question, talked to me or questioned me or anything like that. It was all, you know, what they were whatever they said. Did internal affairs ever visit you or anything? I mean, we're talking about a police shooting. You would think internal affairs gets involved every single time. Did they ever get involved in any way, shape, or form, or was this held with such? a hush-hush type of thing that they just superseded everything. Yeah, I mean, nobody came to talk to me, or I don't know if maybe they weren't allowed to. You know, nobody, I think maybe that's why they weren't, maybe didn't let me have phone calls or have any visitors or anything like that because they didn't want to get it out. I don't know, I can't really say exactly, but no one came and talked to me. Nobody said anything. It was pretty, and I was scared. I mean, I was 2021, 20, so, you know, I was scared. I didn't know what to do. I, yeah, I feel so bad for you. I can't imagine what that would be like. I can't imagine. I know people are listening in right now and probably thinking the exact same thing I am. Uh, hey, Kelly, are you are you uh, still with us in queue here? Yes, I'm here. As you're listening, I want you to join in because I'm just kind of like, I don't know what to say. I mean, it, it's it's... It's horrific to even imagine. I can't even begin to think what that is like. What I mean, she's reliving, reliving what she went through, and I'm pretty sure questions have gone through your head. And and so, I'll let you uh, converse here a little bit with Jenny, and and just go where you feel led. And and please do. Maybe you can okay. add to this as well. Okay. Hi, Jenny. Um, hi. You know, since I found out you were going to be on the show, I started researching it and, um, you know, really reading about what you have been through. And I ordered your book yesterday. 
<laughs> Thank I, you. I, <laughs> you're welcome. You know, and I can't, I, you know, I, I found myself today driving down the street and thinking about what you went through. I've had people ask me, what are you thinking about? I'm thinking about what Jenny went through. I mean, I just, I can't even imagine, you know, the pain and the, and the suffering that you went through. But one of my big questions is, because of that incident, because of that moment, what what did that do to your body? Where where did you stand after that moment when you were shot? Like physically, physically. Yes, physically. Um, well, my jaw was basically shot up. There's a missing. I was missing a piece of my jaw from where it went through my lower jaw, and I, I still I have a scar. It was it was open that they had a drainage drip out of there. Uh, they had parts of my jaw plated plated up to hold it together because it was totally shattered, and it had gone through my tongue, so my tongue had swelled up. So they had to put a tube, a trach in my throat to breathe. And I still have shrapnel that I'll always have, which every time I go to the doctor and um, they do my x-rays, you know, I, I see that shrapnel. So it's a reminder, consistent reminder. And after they basically put the halo around with the six spikes that I still have scars from to this day uh, to hold my jaw together, that was just what, what somewhat healed with the plating. And then when they wired, they had to wire it shut to heal more. And then, so right now I only have seven teeth because it went, it went through, since it went through the front of my mouth, the, the, all the front teeth were gone and, the, and it went down. So the middle of my chin, all the way to the left, there's no bone, there's no uh, upper bone where your teeth are and everything like that. And then um, on the right side, there's uh, a lot. So I have to wear a partial to eat on my lower jaw, my lower um, jaw, and I have uh, a bond to uh, for my top teeth so that that covers that, that area so I can eat. So it did, I've had six surgeries that were pretty extensive surgeries, and they still, there's really, it's still shrapnel in there that is never going to, you know, like I said, it's never going to be taken out. I guess my other question was, um, are, are you still in a wheelchair, or have you been able to? Um... No, I'm per- I'm permanent. I'm a quadriplegic, but that was um, later on. But I'm permanently paralyzed. Was it a result of that moment? No, this was, that was, I didn't get paralyzed from that. That was just all jaw problem. I got paralyzed after, at, when I, at 34, I attempted suicide. Okay, so there was that one moment, and then there was the other moment right. that led you to where you are now. And right, you know, it's I guess to understand your um, your journey, we also need to understand this part. So, at one question I have is, did the police ever get even reprimanded or charged? For that moment, they just did got they fined. Ever... That's all they got was fined. They did get fined. Okay. Yeah, I think the officer that shot me got a reprimand, like some kind of thing on his record, but they weren't charged or anything like that. And at during the time that that you went through these experiences, 
you know, I, I've had a near-death experience, and I actually had, you know, I have memories of that, and I, I remember how peaceful it was, <laughs> even though it was traumatic. When you were going through that, did you have any type of spiritual experience where, you know, you just felt that things were going to be okay at any point? No. I, it was then. weird because I had, I had from, I guess, the way it was shot, the way I was shot, I didn't feel any pain from from what was going on. I mean, I didn't even know I was shot. I mean, I saw this, the the flash of the gun, and the, I just saw the droplets from my from my mouth. And I didn't really know the extent until when I was on the air life and they had me on a board. And I looked down at the board, and it was covered in blood. And that's when I knew something serious happened. I didn't know exactly what because I never saw exactly what I looked like or anything. But they got me, once I got to the ER, I mean, they didn't even check, do IVs and blood and all this stuff like that. I mean, they just immediately took me into surgery. So I'm guessing it was pretty bad. Yeah. So there was not much of a memory during that moment. No. Um, And then you, you know, I think it's important that we hear this to know where you are today. You know, you you at some moment, something happened and you just, you were driven. You know, after all of the years of everything you've been through, at some point, you know, you really decided, I'm going to make the best of this and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to shine. I'm going to make it better for other people. And I'm telling you just without reading your entire book, which I told you I've ordered, I just... It, it, I've been so inspired. You know, I, I was diagnosed with MS at a point in my life, and a lot of people are dealing with different things. Um, you know, but but hearing your story just made me think, you know, this. <laughs> if she can do this, then we can. So I guess my big question is, at what moment did you decide, and, and how did you decide? Was it a spiritual experience? Did you just say, you know what, I'm going to I'm gonna go out there and I'm going to really do the best of this? What happened? Well, after I woke up in the emergency room from the suicide attempt, I mean, I knew surviving what I had done, that that was God's intervention. Even though I had no history in church, I'd never been to church, never opened a Bible, don't don't really, was never told about God. I mean, I believe there was a God. I didn't believe in God. But when I woke up in the emergency room, I knew that the only way I could have survived was for God's intervention. And I wanted to talk about it, too, because they'd send a chaplain to my room. But because my mom was so against religion that I didn't really have as much opportunity. But during my struggles in after I got, you know, immediately after I got paralyzed, I mean, I couldn't only move my head back and forth. I couldn't really move my arms and I couldn't move really anything else. I mean, I had to relearn everything, sitting, eating, everything. And so when I, kind of when I realized that because he saved me that there had to be, that I had to fight for him because if he's going to save me, I have to do what needs to be done. And 
with him, the way he, saving me, it's going to sound weird, but saving me by um, making me paralyzed has actually saved me more because it's um, enabled me to get strong within myself. Because before, when I was dealing with my mental illness, I was living alone and I didn't really, I don't really have any family that come by. I have my mom, but my mom's bipolar, so it's really unstable there. And I didn't really, you know, have, I dealt with hurting myself a lot and I just wasn't doing good for myself. And I I was so alone and so hurting, but even though after I got paralyzed, even though it was a struggle, I mean, every day was, I mean, it's a struggle, but there, it was a way that I can start over in a, in, in a good way. So there was different times during my therapy and during um, my, I mean, I went through, I went through, I still went through, you know, because I, I didn't have anyone, any family there for me. So uh, I depended on the staff and the people at the hospital and I was, you know, mistreated there. And, and so I, I had to deal with a lot of different issues with just mistreatment and, and learning how to, you know, be dependent on others in a way with, and not having, still not having them there for me. So that's when I started um, kind of more talking to God because I didn't really know about prayer and stuff. And there were moments that when I was having a real tough time that um, little things would kind of happen that weren't weren't supposed to happen, that he would be, that I knew that it was God, you know, being there for me. And it were, it were just little things and, but I, I could kind of see that that was, I mean, even if it was just, it was like a radio, like when I found out I was going to be paralyzed permanently, the first song I heard when I woke up was, um, live like you were dying. And so it was just little things like that, that made me feel that he was out there. And it was, it wasn't until, uh, after I was in a nursing home and, you know, I was dealing with stuff and one of the other patients invited me to church and when I went to church everyone was just like I was invited there like they're waiting for me because they were just tapping me on the shoulder and saying hi you know how are you doing we we were so glad that you're here and I finally felt that I was at a place where I was supposed to be and that was when I was continued to wanted to learn and everything and I, you know, I try to be a better person. I, I was able to, you know, stop hurting myself. And, and but it, it wasn't until I finally had to leave Colorado because the, the care from the VA was just so bad. I would have died if I stayed there. And so I, I went to a VA in Memphis, and I was able to, I was so embarrassed because at 34, knowing nothing about the Bible, I mean, I didn't even know about Noah's Ark except for the child's version of it. And so I was kind of embarrassed to ask questions about it, but there was a a female intern, chaplain intern, that would just come and she would just talk and stuff like that. And I finally got comfortable enough with her, and I asked her about the different books of the Bible and different stuff. And though you know I tried reading as much as I can, and I started praying and I started going to church, and I started to feel like like he was there for me. I mean, I even, there was times when I, you know, tried doing the pleading with them, you know, I'll go to church if you, you know, get this house loan so I could live, because I was living in the hospital. 
and it didn't happen. And it wasn't until, you know, my main goal after I got paralyzed was to be able to push myself in a manual chair and to live independently. And though everyone was telling me because of my level of injury that it wasn't going to be something that was possible. And I'm stubborn just from my upbringing. And so I was going to do whatever I can to get strong enough on my own and to get what I needed to do to be be able to get to the point of being independent. And it was through those the hardships and that it made me want to fight more. And if and if I wouldn't have been put in some of the situations that I think I would have been less less at the point where I was able to live independently. Because going from not having to start over with everything to living by yourself, it's not something, a transition that's easy to make. But he was able to make the transition slowly, even though it wasn't necessarily the best situations that I was put in, but it made me strong mentally and emotionally and spiritually so that when, as I went to, I I learned to drive, so I was able to drive to church and I became more and more and started going to Sunday school and learning about the Bible. And, you know, I, I, they became my friends finally. And I finally had people that were around me that were positive, that were able to be with me and that I trusted in him and that I found that I could just leave all my burdens to him and he would, he would, was there for me. And through that, I just get stronger every day that I, realize that I'm not alone. I have a father that is the ultimate father and I have brothers and sisters in Christ. And I just, I mean, I just, it's changed my life in a good way. What, from what happened. And you also, you went to college, didn't you? Yeah. I went to college for a little bit. Yeah. I did some college and, um, I was going to VCU, but then, um, the, it's just really hard to get around in a wheelchair out there. So that's when I that's when I um, I stopped, and that's when I was I was going to college to take English classes because I didn't really know how to write a proper book. So I was taking English classes, and hmm. I ended up having a car accident. And I was like, okay, God, is this you're telling me to stop going to school? Because I was gonna then I was going farther and farther. So I was like, okay, are you telling me to stop going to school and finish this book? So it was like little messages like that you know, that I, you kind of have to take it the right way. And so I was able to, you know, finish my book and everything like that. So, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't have a need to go to school back anymore. And I'm, you know, still doing what I need to do. But it's just little things like that. Like people think some, some bad things happen bad because people are against them or they're, they're, they're just – not worth it or some, but if, like, if I look back, if some of, if, like, some of the things were, were, if I were to have gotten that loan in to, in Tennessee for the house, it wouldn't have worked out for me because there's no way I would have gotten a caregiver to take care of me way out there. And I wouldn't, just the whole thing wouldn't have worked out. But I didn't know that at the time because I'm not knowing, but he knew that, that I was meant to be here in Virginia and living where I'm living, and I'm, it's much happier here. But it's like stuff like that. So now when bad things happen, like a car accident or, you know, something bad, it's like, okay, there's a reason for this. I don't know exactly what it is, but it's, it's going to be okay. And then 
you know, you have, you have that thought process and it kind of keeps the stress down so that it's like, he's not going to, you know, let you down. He's not going to put you in the wrong situation. It's just, it's just his way of teaching you something. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, you've done a hell of a good job. You really have. I didn't want to interrupt you, but I know Jan is in the background here listening as well. Let's welcome Jan Reynolds, the other host of this show. Jan, um, I know you'd like to weigh in on this. I know it's a, it's a very heart-touching story here with Jenny Mayer. So if you have some questions you'd like to ask Jenny, please do. Uh, hi, Jenny. Uh, <clears throat> do you, by any chance, suffer from... PTSD from this ordeal. Do I? Yes. Yeah, I suffer from it from because of my childhood. That's tough, isn't it? Well, yeah, I, I used to have nightmares, screaming nightmares, and um, migraines, and you know, just I didn't, I didn't, I don't, I still kind of don't really feel comfortable being really close for some reason people and like any any sudden noise would make me like jump out of my skin so it was it wasn't like ptsd would like war veterans go through but it was more of a traumatic from growing up that way so it was uh it, it's been it was it was rough it's been rough dealing with that but i'm pretty good now uh, let me let me ask you this, and again, I didn't mean to interrupt, but there's been a question uh, that somebody asked me on my Facebook page in inbox messaging. Um, Jenny, as you're going through this experience and and talking about it and so forth through the, throughout the years now, um, what, what how does it affect you? You know, with a lot of stuff that's going on in social media, media even today, people being shot, uh, cops being sent to prison for, you know, bad shootings. I mean, it's rampant. It's all over social media these days. Does that affect you at all, or, or is that just something in the past that you don't even think about it when you see it? Yeah, that doesn't really affect me anymore. I mean, I watch it, and a lot of it, you know, I don't like seeing and but I mean the what I what bothers me more is when the parents of the victim it actually is asking the rest of the community to stop writing and stop doing this and seeing police cruisers being flipped over and businesses being broken into and everything I mean causing more outrage over something that they really don't have anything to do about it and making it an excuse for violence. And that's what really bothers me than seeing, I mean, I don't go with, you know, police shooting people, innocent victims, but, I mean, when you have the parents or the loved ones saying, you know, let's let's do this right, you know, stop causing more problems or, you know, doing things, and then it just getting all crazy, I mean, that then it really, that really affects me. So another question, and I'll ask this. This is kind of a tough question. The question is, is that do you harbor any ill will towards the officers that, ha- you know, that, that did this to you? Do you still harbor feelings? Did you harbor bad feelings from it? Or have you just 
continually moved on and, and progressed in in your aspects of, of your daily life? Um, at the beginning, I mean, not even at the beginning, but for most part of my life, I did harbor um, bad feelings, especially for the chief, for how he handled it. Because, like I said, I mean, I have I had the constant reminder by just looking at myself or just eating, you know, just because it deals with my mouth and my appearance and stuff. So, I mean, I would panic when I saw an officer and saw their gun. So I had to deal with it. That was really hard, just seeing police, you know, driving by or just seeing police and their gun. I really had a problem with that. But then as I've, um, as I've forgiven them for, you know, what they, what they did and, I've gotten stronger in my faith than, I mean, I know now I know officers that I'm friends with that are good officers that, you know, that, and that the guns don't really bother me anymore. So I was able to put that aside now, but that's only been like because of me being strong in my faith. Yeah. Uh, Kelly, back to you. I'm here. (laughs) I wanted to ask you, Jenny, um, what, after everything that you have been through, you are such an inspiration to so many with this book. I read your reviews. I mean, you have five-star reviews all the way down the line. What would you like to say to people who are suffering or, or, you know, maybe have some of the same things that you deal with? Because, you know, my disease... I, I've I've researched my disease of MS, and the hot you know the number one cause of death is suicide. People struggle, and it's not just me. I mean, people struggle every day with things, but you yeah. are now an inspiration to all of us. I mean, I seriously and just like on my knees, I love you. What would Thank you say you. to people who? you know, are going through some trials, and and what would you advise them to do? Well, you need, my biggest problem that I had when I was going through everything was being alone and not, I had trouble opening up and of how I felt, and I kept it inside me, and it just, I didn't feel comfortable talking to people or telling truly people how I felt and I think that's like the hardest thing is that not only as the person who's dealing with you know the mental illness or just dealing with stress and dealing with troubles and they they don't have anyone to talk to is the family and friends to realize that you know they need to be there for each other and be there to help each other out I mean nobody should be alone all alone I mean if if it's I mean, if it needs to be in some kind of program or something, they they have to have a support system because I could not have done what I've done without having some form of support. And people need to realize that their friends, their families, their neighbors, anyone, you know, just someone needs someone to, and to stress to get them to talk and to, you know, don't be afraid. So many people are even now are afraid to, ask me questions or, you know, different things. It's like, because they don't want to invade my space. And it's like, 
sometimes you need to invade their space. Sometimes you need to get it out of them because they're they're hurting inside and they don't know how to. And they sometimes they don't they feel like if they talk about it, it's going to get worse. And it is going to get worse at the beginning when you talk about it. But as you continue to talk about it, like writing my book, it was hard because I brought up a lot of old things that I had forgotten about. And I actually had to stop for a while and bring it out. But the more I talk about it and the more um, I bring it out, the easier it gets that that it makes it easier to stress other people that that's that's makes it so it's easy to keep going. Yeah, hold that thought for one second. We have also... Joining us the last part of the show, Dr. Rita Ruiz. Dr. Rita, welcome to our show, Beyond Reality Paranormal Talk Radio. Well, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure being on the show with you guys. Always a pleasure. I know you've been listening in, and you were there uh, listening to Jenny Mayer and her story. And from your standpoint, can can you weigh in a little bit and share your thoughts on, you know, on this topic and and with Jenny Mayer? You know, I I only started tuning in a little bit ago, and so I'm guilty. I only tuned in a little bit ago. Uh, Okay. (laughs) You know, but I know uh, from looking online, you you know, Jenny, that you've gone through a number of different things, but getting late and my brain has stopped functioning completely. <laughs> you know, but I think, you know, just in listening to you, all right, I'll just make this commentary. You know, just in listening to you, just with how much I've heard, this is my feedback to you. You know, I do health counseling with people, and there are so many people that don't want to get out of their own way. You know, they become attached to, they become attached to their disease. And they define their life by their disease, you know. And I feel like for you, you have taken it and you see it more as, well, this is an obstacle I have to overcome and I have to move through. So where am I today and where do I need to be tomorrow or go tomorrow so that I can bring health back into my life? And it's only people that have that kind of attitude that, in my opinion, get well. Yeah, I agree. So, you know, so congratulations to you and everything that you've done. Thank you. But it wasn't, it's, it's been a long, long journey. It's not something that happens overnight. No, I mean, it doesn't happen overnight, especially with, you know, what you've gone through. But, it, it, but you know, and what I'm speaking to is more that attitude that you have, you know, and the attitude you've taken, you know, and I'm just using that and expressing it because there are so many people listening that might have something that they're working through. And until they kind of own that kind of attitude like you've taken, you know, it's one day at a time, um, they're not going to be well, you know. And the other big thing I've had to learn is that I need to forget about my past and stop worrying about my past and what I've um, keeping that as like a brick holding me back and let that go. Just, you know, like I dwelled on my childhood. I dwelled on what I went through. I dwelled on this. I dwelled on that. And it's like that's no longer happening anymore. I need to move forward 
what I am doing now and today and keep moving forward instead of going backwards. But that's so perfect. Um, You know, I believe that when we get sick, it is because, you know, our big, you know, there's functional stuff. You know, if you break your leg, you broke your leg. You know, there's not really emotional parts attached to it. But for many things that people experience, there is an emotional part attached to it. You know, so addressing and releasing the family stuff, the family shame, the family things that bind you, um, and opening yourself up to whatever is being presented, you know, is, again, perfect. That's what I said. Writing my book really helped me a lot because I had trouble talking to other people about being judged and just letting them know about what I did and who I was and stuff. So writing my book for me was really beneficial for me because it kind of allowed it to get out that I wasn't able to do verbally. Mm-hmm. And you know, I know a lot of people keep journals, but for me, a daily journal just wasn't because I didn't do really anything that day except watch TV and lie on the couch all day and was depressed. So <laughs> writing a journal really wasn't worth anything. Yeah. Well, Jenny, your your story is an inspirational one. And, you know, it's been a real pleasure having you on to talk about your journey and what you went through and, and, and to tell us about your novel, Never Give Up. Uh, for those listening, um, it's really what I would call the Jenny Mayer story, Never Give Up. You can find her book on Amazon.com. Just type in Jenny Mayer, Never Give Up. It pops right up. So I have a website, too. Yes. What's what's that website? It's themindbodyandspirit.net. Very well. Very good. That's right. I'll put that link. I got your press pass, and I got behind. My computer crashed, so I had to go out and get another one, and uh, so that was good before the show. So I'll get those links out on the event page and so forth. And, again, I just want to say thank you for coming on, and, and uh, I feel really bad putting you back, making you relive that day in history that changed your life forever. Um, and, again, I really appreciate you coming on and, and being so honest and open and sharing with everybody involved. Um, you're an inspiration to us all. You know, when people are complaining on social media, hey, I've had a bad day, I've been arguing with so-and-so, they have no clue. <laughs> we have no clue. Yeah, wait till you, wait till you read, read the book. You'll see how much more I went through than what I spoke of. Exactly, and uh, we will be. We will be reading your book, and I'll be sharing in an article. Look for an article, and I'll, I'll send you the link. But in the article in my online paper, the Paranormal Herald, will be our show archives from today and also a full write-up article on who you are, your book, and so forth, the specific details and links. So look for that to come, everybody. Uh, with that said, you're welcome to hang in queue with us if you want to listen to the show uh, from this point. We have Dr. Rita Louise on. She's an author of several books, and we'll share her information. And she also has a radio show, Just Energy Radio. Um, and with that said, I'll, again, I just want to say thank you. God bless you. And, thank you. Uh, God bless you guys well in what you do. 
Uh, with that said, let's welcome Dr. Rita Louise. Welcome, Dr. Rita Louise, to Beyond Reality Paranormal Talk Radio. Hey. Hi, Rita. <laughs> Hi, guys. <laughs> you know, it's always fun coming and hanging out with you, you know, because I never, I never know what we're going to talk about. I know. I know. I'm all over the book. I'm all over the pages. I, you know, and that's the beauty of radio, if you think about it. If you go on radio and you have a set topic, you know what? It can be the dullest damn thing in the world. I mean, it's like, okay. So I thought, you know, I'd try kind of have an open life, random people coming on and that sort of thing, and our, our main guests and so on. And so we're like a round table, and they just kind of blossom from there, and I've been doing it for a lot of years doing this. Um, but for the – and we got a ton of listeners today, um, more so than normal. And I think between you and Jenny Mayer, it was a great draw. So because there's so many new new people tuned in, can you share who you are and the specific books that you've written? Now, I can just go on here and say, yeah, we got Dr. Rita Louise on. She's written this, this, and that, but it's not the same. So I'll just make you do your own work uh-huh. while well, I sit back and say, aha. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Drinking a beer while I'm doing all the work. I know how it is. Uh <laughs> No, I'm good. Um, I mean, so in a nutshell, you know, and and I have gotten to where I have to kind of separate things out. Um, So I, my new line is, so for my day job, I work as a naturopathic physician, which is an alternative health doctor, Um, not an MD, but an ND. Um, and a medical intuitive. So I do health counseling, intuitive health counseling with people all over the world, you know, or energy work or psychic readings or anything in, in that kind of genre. So that's kind of my day job. Um, but the other thing that I do is I write books, I produce videos, I have my radio show. And so the books that I've written uh, my first two books were about health and healing. The first one was The Power Within. Uh, the second one was Avoiding the Cosmic 2 by 4 You know, and I feel like they really kind of go together um, because they talk about why we get sick when looking at disease from an energetic perspective. You know, the mm-hmm. psycho-spiritual aspects of illness And it looks at it from a chakra perspective as well as bringing in a Kabbalistic Kabbalistic viewpoint into disease. Now, the 2x4 book, Avoiding the Cosmic 2x4 book, is more of the brain food. You know, it's the scientific-ish explanation um, of what's going on with us and in us. And the Power Within book is kind of the hands-on book. So if you recognize that there's stuff going on that you want to change, it has techniques that you can use to change, modify, access, release energy. So those two books work pretty close hand-in-hand. My third book was uh, Dark Angels, An Insider's Guide to Ghost Spirits and Attached Entities, which was a really fun book to write. Um, It looks at the concept of hauntings and ley lines and vortexes, the concept of attached entities, which I spend a lot of time talking about, and what you can do about it. And each section that I cover comes with a personal story, 
um, to illustrate what I'm what was going on. So whether it was from an investigation that I did, um, you know, at a location, a, a ghost investigation, or working with private clients in my office that had entity attachment issues. Um, as people are listening to the interview, you'll see that some people say I'm kind of funny, a little bit, not too much, just a little bit. And so that sense of humor really does come through in these stories because I just kind of tell the story um, in a very informal way. Uh, the next book was E.T. Chronicles, what myths and legends have to do with or have to say about human origins. And it looks at the creation of humanity or our early history based on the mythic record. Um, you know, if I was going to put it in a genre, I would say that it is a book about ancient aliens. Um, but it looks at our chronology, uh, starting with in the beginning, and it ends with the development of civilization on the earth. It takes mythology, it tries to connect it to finds that are in the archaeological record, in the genetic record, you know, to substantiate uh, facts that are tied to it. Um, but I've also written and produced a number of videos. Um, I have one feature-length video, which is called Icon, Deconstructing the Archetypes of the Ancients, um, that looks at the symbolism in our art and architecture. Um, you know, and it sounds kind of dry and boring, but it's actually a really fascinating topic because we don't realize how visual our culture is and how symbols, as simple as in hand gesture. You know, we all know the Italian salute, um, and so when it is presented, we all know what it means. You know, and so that's kind of what it is looking at is these are these symbols, and do we know what they mean? The best part is, it's available on Amazon Digital Download for $1.99. Evan, $1.99. But also on Amazon, I have a number of short videos um, that are around 15 minutes in length. Uh, one is The Weapons of the Gods. One is Genetic Engineering and Antiquity. Uh, the Truth About the Nephilim. And these are all available for $0.99. Cents. You know, so if you go to Amazon and type Rita Louise in the, you know, digital download. It'll bring up the different videos that I have. <clears throat> but I have a new one that is coming out probably, you know, I would like to say in about three weeks. It might be a month. It's getting very close. We're having some audio sound balancing issues uh, but the goal is to have it out in the early part of October, and it's called Holy Deception. So I'm really excited about that. And um, I saw the intro for that. Amazing. Bloody amazing is what I can say. Well, you know, and I think, you know, we all have a concept of God. You know, and many of our concepts of who and what God is came to us from the Judeo-Christian tradition. Mm -hmm. And so what it looks at is this notion of God except from 
cultures around the world. And while it doesn't draw conclusions, it presents evidence that perhaps our understanding of God in the Western slash Judeo-Christian world is wrong. So let me ask you something off the wall here. Do Do aliens exist, Dr. Media? Do I think aliens exist? Yeah. Well, this is what I feel that I can say with a certain amount of certainty, that based on the mythological record... Cultures around the world talk about these groups of people or individual people that came down from the sky and interacted with humanity. You know, if it was just one group, the Sumerians that talk about the Anunnaki, I would just write it off as a weird anomaly. But the level of consistency that you have of that leads me to believe that there is something going on. Um, You know, and so if there was something going on thousands of years ago, why would it necessarily have stopped just because we have developed civilization? Yeah, good point. Good point. Um, Man, you know, you always see a lot of a lot of things from from even our own presidents and so forth, and about the alien concepts and ETs and uh, signals from space and and all that, and it just makes you wonder, you know. Well, you know, you know, we're 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 on a paranormal show, so I'm going to make the assumption that you guys believe in ghosts, right? Yeah. Okay, so let's just kind of make a little comparison when you talk about ghosts and a belief in ghosts, it is, for most people, either they have an experience or there is just this collection of subjective information that is out there and available that you're able to draw a conclusion that there is something going on, like some more something going on than it's just somebody's imagination. And the UFO people have that same dilemma. You know, there is there are people that have sightings or are abducted who their lives are changed forever you know and then there are all of these sightings that are documented that you know what what do you do with that you say all of these people are crazy these military people are crazy jimmy carter's crazy ronald reagan is crazy you know these fighter pilots are crazy maybe not so much, but we don't want to take that step and say, well, we should look at that circumstantial evidence and maybe make a belief around it. You know, we want something tangible. We want to put a ghost in a box or something. I I don't know. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm going to let Kelly uh, talk a little bit here with you for a while and, and Jan and back and forth. So they can share also. Uh, Kelly, first you, and then then we'll have Jan come in. Hi, how are you, Rita? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm great. Okay, my question to you is, I grew up Southern Baptist. My grandpa was actually a Southern Baptist preacher, and I taught Sunday school at one point. 
Um, I was really interested in your new film, um, Holy Deception. What is that about? Because, you know, I've come to my own um, understanding of God, and it was not Southern Baptist. You know, it was it was a different thing. You know, I had near the near the death experiences where I had um, someone visit me, and so I know for sure that what I was brought up believing is not true. So that holy deception really intrigued me. What is that about? And so. You know, as I was saying a little earlier, you know, there is our notion of God. You know, the guy with the white hair and the beard and the flowing robes, you know, kind of the Michelangelo 16 chapel image that we have. But when you start looking around the world, cultures around the world also have that same image. You know, whether it's in the Americas or the Greeks or, you know, different cultures. Um But then there are things that, well, let me even preface this. It is only in the Abrahamic, that that word is very hard to say, the Abrahamic faith, you know, so Christian, Judaism, and Muslim, that there is a belief in a singular God. When you look at any other culture on the earth, they believe in a pantheon of gods. And these gods live in the sky, they live in the underworld, or they live in the depths of the ocean. Um, again, a consistency around the world. And so what it does is it brings up these notions that the gods that we talk about, you know, whether it's the god of the Bible or the like the Greek pantheon, Zeus and Kronos, or the Sumerian pantheon, pantheon you know, Enki and Enlil, and say, well, maybe they're not omnipotent. You know, we've always been told God is omnipotent. He's the beginning and the end. You know, he is without time. And while I personally believe that there is this creative force, you know, like as as Giorgio Zuccolos likes to say, you know, there's the big G God. Like I totally believe in that concept. Now, what that is, I can't tell you. But what we have interacted with is not that. Well, I, you know, I know Jenny Mayer, who was just on this show, had um, had an experience where she completely felt compelled because of a higher power. What would you call that higher power if it's not? I mean, and, and where do we go for that exactly? But I. Great question, you know, and I believe that that higher power is the big G God. I mean, I thank God on a daily basis for, you know, bringing things to me and helping me create the life that I have, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But I don't believe that that is the same as the guy that is written about in the Bible. I think it's two different things although we make the assumption that it is the that guy, entity, force, whatever that is, that brings us inspiration and we can connect with on a heart and soul level. So when we drop to our knees in prayer, 
when we're going through something so horrific and we are praying to something, what do you think that something is? Not the God in the Bible, but the big but the big G God? I mean Well that that that's my question. I mean, I know I've seen absolutely I mean, just like we saw with Jenny, there are people who drop to their knees and they are submissive to this force. And I you know, out of curiosity as a person on this earth I'm wondering, what is that force exactly? If it's not God, what is it? Well, you know, there is um, some conjecture. You know, all right. I mean, because it's 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 really about semantics. You know, for us in the Western world, we take all of this stuff and call it God. You know, and I wish we could use a different word. <laughs> You know, to separate it out. And I think that's why they talk about the big G God and the little G God. You're like, I don't think the big G God would come and hang out on a a mountain with Moses. Uh, You know, I just don't think so. And when you look at the account of God giving Moses the Ten Commandments and talking to the Israelites, it sounds more like a, a, a UFO came and landed on the top of the mountain versus an omnipotent creator God that wouldn't need some kind of thing, you know, ship, you know, not that they said ship, but that made a lot of noise and created thunder and lightning because he's transcended that. But, I'm going to put in a but, you know, but there are people that believe or contend that we that when we're connecting with our higher self, when we're connecting with what we see as the divine, um, that we are actually talking to a group of extraterrestrials, you know. And so, I sometimes wondered that myself, and that notion scares me. I, I don't like that idea, <laughs> you know. That I'm asking for guidance. I mean, I live my life based on divine guidance. You know, people go, well, what are you going to be doing in five years? It's like, I have no idea because I feel like I am led through my life, you know, and I surrender surrender to the guidance that is given to me. Now, if that guidance is coming from an extraterrestrial, that just makes me not feel good. Uh, so I would really like to believe that it is coming from the big G God. And my experience has been is when I follow it, when I pay attention to it, when I submit to it, that my life works eternally better. Exactly. And if I connected to my high, to myself, I would get myself in so much trouble. I mean, you know, when I, when I say, okay, I'm all ominous, uh, uh, what what is the word? <laughs> if I connect to myself and I say, you know what, I am omnipotent. That's the word. Omnipotent. Omnipotent. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> if I am that, then me and that power of me is going to get me in so much trouble. I have to go outside of myself and connect to something different. Whether it's the universe, whether it's God, whether it's you know 
a higher power, and I've seen that power work in people. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, I really wonder where that's coming from. You know, it's, you know, it's, and, it's, it, it works miracles. So, and I don't have an answer because it really is bigger than any of us. It is. You know, and so, and that's why I like to give it the big G God. And people go, well, where did that come from? It's like, I don't know. I don't have an answer. I don't know. Right, those things you can't explain. And when I was diagnosed with MS, they said I had, you know, so many lesions on my brain. And I I actually, I remember pulling over to the side of the road when I was diagnosed because I'd just seen a woman go through MS and how she died, and it was horrific. And... When they told me that, I said, no, no, it's not happening. I will not do this. And so I remember going back to the doctor, and he said, you're in remission because there are no scars on your brain. And I was like, no, it's because I said there were no scars on my brain, and I promised you there wouldn't be any more because I was scared to death, and I prayed to God. And so, Mm -hmm. therefore, you know, something happened in that moment. And well, I don't you know, really... and miracles happen. You know, when people are ready to, and uh, and I'm going to word, use a word that I'm sure you will understand. When people are ready to fully surrender to that guidance, yes. you know, from deep within themselves, not oh yeah, I, I'm going to surrender, you know, from a mental place, but from that right. the deepest level of their soul, right. miracles happen. Period. Miracles happen. You know, I um, was interviewed by Shirley MacLaine, who wrote that Out on a Limb book. This was a number of years ago. And she and I got into this whole, (laughs) I want to say conversation, but it became kind of a debate on the the concept of free will. um, Because she, her belief was we have free will to do whatever we want. And I said, well, I believe in free will. I said, we can choose to follow our divine guidance or we can choose not to and get our butts kicked. And she didn't like my answer. (laughs) Oops. I'm like, well, that's been my experience. You know, go with the mental part of yourself and be, you know, this is what I want to do versus where you're being led to go do. Um the universe will come and, you know, I mean, that's how the avoiding the cosmic two-by-four got the name because it was all about not getting that slap and how to connect, you know, and, and why you would want to connect um, with that energy and with that force and listening to what's going on because then you can avoid the cosmic two-by-four. Yeah, and I think that's how it kind of went with me. I, I When I got diagnosed, I pulled over to the side of the road. I cried. I hit my steering wheel. I was like, I'm never doing this, never. And I remember, you know, dropping to my knees and praying, and there was something that, you know, something intervened. And I, I don't know if it was myself. And I think that's, you know, isn't that the mission in life that we <laughs> try to figure out who is doing this for us, and thank you for it. It's just a, you know, it's it's a crazy circle, you know, to try to figure out who we're praying to, what we're, we're yeah. about. And we just don't know. 
You know, but that's part of the joy is the search, you know, and the journey. Yeah, I think, I think that, so. Exactly. And it's, I've seen people who have, you know, spiraled and become numb where they've, just like we saw in our last segment on our show, you know, Jenny just completely overcame it. All of her, you know, all of her things, and she's inspiring other people. So I think it just, don't you think it depends on if we believe in something? It doesn't matter what we believe in. We believe in something. I don't think it has as much to do with belief in something external. I think it has to do with connecting with yourself and connecting with that higher power. You know, because there are people that believe, you know, and you know, and I I don't mean to say this disrespectful, but I don't know any other way to say it. You know, that run around with their bibles and thump, um, you know, that believe they have certainty and believe um but in their heart they're not willing to follow. You know, follow that inner wisdom, follow that higher purpose. Yeah, that's a tough act to follow as well. Yeah. Well, I have learned that, you know, you get your butt kicked enough. Uh, <laughs> with with physical disease being the biggest butt kick. Um, you know, so I would challenge you to look back at your life to see how often you weren't paying attention or what the message was that just kind of has run through your life that you weren't paying attention to that you are now listening to because that's that's what created the disease in the first place. In other words, I did it to myself? Is that the, you yeah, know, pretty that... much. Ow. I mean, I don't mean to be like, you know, so blunt on it, but... You know, and it's not that you did it to yourself, you know, how we're brought up, the things we experience in life, you know, so it's not like you wished it upon yourself, but, you know, we react a certain way, we have certain traumas, you know, and and I'll just use myself as an example, and I don't want you guys to laugh, but I used to be super shy, super Super, super, super shy. And the thought of like having a radio show or being on air was horrifying. Horrifying. I mean, I wouldn't even say hello to a person at 7-Eleven. And that was like one of the first, my first exercises in overcoming it was if you go to 7-Eleven or you go do something, you need to initiate. You know, you need to say hi to the person. I mean, it took me years of working on this. Hey, Dr. Lee, you mentioned you know you didn't want to say hi to people at 7-Eleven, but let's just reflect on a second, for a second here. I don't say hi to people at 7-Eleven either. Have you seen some of the people? It's like you're at Walmart. I'm just saying. Well, no, I'm talking about the guy behind the counter. (laughs) You know, not like somebody just miscellaneous in the aisle. And I'll tell you what, I had to suck it up. I had to suck it up. Um, but I feel yeah. like I feel like 
if I didn't do that, you know, like that guidance was, if I didn't do that, that I would have no life. Yeah. You know, so I listened to it, and I'll tell you, it was hard. And people were like, you were shy. <laughs> like, it's a fact. Man, maybe it's our radio shows. We've been on so many of our shows that maybe we just brought the bad girl out in, 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 in you or something. I I mean, I've been working. I started working on this when I was, like, 19. So, I mean, this was, you know, and there are still <laughs> situations that I will be in and get very quiet. Or just kind of disappear, um, mm-hmm. you know. So I'm still working on it. There's still aspects, but it's a lot better than it was. I hear um, well, I'm going to get Jen involved here for for the last little bit here. Jen, hey, hello, come on in. I want you in here to get your say, and so we can hear from you. So let's welcome Jen Reynolds. Well, hello, Doctor Vanilla. Uh, hey. You're not the first person uh, I've spoken to about uh, that that feels you, I mean, uh, extraterrestrials have, you know, been a part of our lives for so long. And uh, I just don't know how I feel about that. You know, it's like... uh, I think it's very possible, you know, they could take a human form, but don't you think it's also possible that these things that we're calling extraterrestrials, don't you think there there could be uh, a cross between uh, human and something uh, dark or demonic, you know? Okay. Um, So just for me, it's easier for me to wrap my mind around the fact that there were extraterrestrials in antiquity than there are extraterrestrials today. I mean, I'm not a contemporary UFO researcher. Um, You know, I can just make correlations between uh, what there is in the mythic record and what people are talking about today, but it's really not super my area of research. Um. You know, but there are a lot of people that talk about abductions, you know, and these human-alien hybrids that are created by the extraterrestrials. You know, fantastic as it seems, but we have writers. So there was a writer, he was a Babylonian priest, his name was Barosis, who was writing, uh, was during the Greek period, so it was the very... And I don't have the date, so don't quote me on this, but let's say it was about 300 B.C., you know, and I can look it up, but let's, you know, but in and around that period of time, 300 B.C. to maybe 380. So we're still talking a long time ago before there was even the concept, in my mind, of extraterrestrials and, you know, alien, you know, hybrids. You know, and he tells stories of, you know, these underground uh, encampments where these chimera were created, you know, uh, centaurs and pans and these experiment. you know, like they don't use the word experiment, uh, 
but where these creatures were mixed and merged together with horrific results. Um, but we also find similar stories that come out of Native American cosmology of this uh, manufacturing of beings in these underground, you know, the, the contemporary word would be bases. Um, so it, it does seem like there is a history and precedence of hybrid hybridization. And I feel like based on the genetic record, the changes that have happened in humanity uh, from our predecessors, the Australopithecus, um, have been huge. I mean, there, have, there were like five major genetic shifts that have occurred in the evolution of humanity in like a thousand or a million years. And so scientists, as they look at this progression of changes that have occurred in the hominid line, they can't explain it. They can't explain, based on the theory of evolution, how we could change so rapidly. Now, if you have genetic intervention where there is a new gene form that is introduced into the population, that would explain how you could have such massive changes happen in such short time um, because evolution doesn't explain it. Oh, my. Yeah, you yeah, know. You really have a different concept of uh, thinking than most people, you know. So, uh, so you definitely opening the concept of heaven and hell. Uh, you see God as a different truth than, than most. And, uh, uh, I'm just trying to understand, you know. I mean, be raised up, uh, you know, the kind of church or I mean, I don't, you know, I don't want to say that I understand it per se, you know, but I have been researching mythology for the last six or seven years. But, you know, my foundation has been looking at, uh, ancient philosophical systems, looking at things, you know, like the chakra system or Kabbalah or, you know, things that kind of come out of that world, looking at where they originated, what the foundational beliefs are. So this movement uh, seems natural to me. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and I I share this information not because... Uh, I wanted to just sound fantastic. You know, there are a lot of people who will put out information and say, this is it. It's a fact. You know, human-alien hybrids exist. It's a fact. You know, what I'm saying is a condensation of years of research. Um, You know, and some of it I find fascinating myself and at times hard to believe. You know, but when you have – I mean, this is kind of my guiding force, my guiding line. 
when you have cultures around the world all talking about the same thing, then there has to be a, a, a notion of truth to it. There has to be. Because why would, every, why would everybody talk about it for thousands of years if it wasn't important and there wasn't any truth? And how could they all come up with the same notion? You know, why wouldn't we find diversity between mm-hmm. one story and another story? But we don't. You know, and so that's my basis. You know, when I released the E.T. Chronicles book, um, one of the early emails I received was, but you didn't talk about Atlantis. And my response to them was, I didn't find evidence in the mythological record to support Atlantis. The only account that seemed close, well, that we really have is the Plato story, and that was it. And so I didn't include it, and that was that is how I established my criteria. I am looking for things where there is a global, you know, or as close to global um, narrative on a topic mm-hmm. because I feel like that's where the nugget comes from, you know, and it's very challenging in an interview format to say everything, you know, so that you can get the feel. Um, You know, because I have to take this bulk of information and consolidate it into one or two lines. But in the E.T. Chronicles book, um, one of the things that I do, you know, my background is I'm a psychic, you know, and so when you do that kind of work, you have to be the observer, You know, it's not about me telling you what is right or wrong or making a judgment. It's about me just reflecting, this is what I see, this is what I'm observing, this is what I'm feeling. And so when I write, I tend to take that same kind of posturing where I present the information. You know, I'm not, I might make some, ask some questions to kind of summarize or have the person think about a possibility, but I will put in the, you know, I put in a lot of accounts. I provide the mythology to support the notion, you know, to support the notion of the question. And so it's not me telling you this is it and it's a fact. It's here's the information and you draw your own conclusion because, you know, Beliefs are beliefs, and we all we, we all have our own. And so it's not for me to tell you what to believe, ever. Well, I agree with that. I always tell uh, people to walk your own truth, you know, because I think we're, we're all born with, with the truth inside us to follow, you know. Uh you know, something higher than ourselves to believe in. And what one does, another might do, might not do. But that's okay, you know, because it doesn't matter what you believe. I think it all comes back to a circle, you know? Hey, you guys, I've got some bad news here. My show started about 24 minutes late. Um, for some reason, the scheduling thing 
So it's about ready to end here, uh, which I really wanted to go longer, but then again, there's another show, so we have no issues there. Dr. Reed, I want to say thank you for coming on and sharing with us today and for chiming in a little bit with our first guest, with Jenny Mayer and her story, and and sharing with us on Beyond uh, Reality Carnival Talk Radio. I want to thank our guests. I want to thank you. I want to thank Jan Reynolds, of course, for making it possible, and for Kelly Griffin for all her support and everything that everybody does. And uh, with that said, you know, I'd like to have you back on again. You know, one thing with you is I can have you on 50 times in a row and still not share all <laughs> the things we'd like to share. You, you're an open book in the paranormal. I've always thought of you as a motherly figure as far as the paranormal goes. A and motherly that, figure? I don't know about that one. <laughs> <laughs> right? Are you going to really have a little bit of, uh, uh, man, oh, my goodness. You just had to interrupt. I was on a flow there. I was on a serious flow. I was like, man, buttering her up for the next episode on Beyond Reality when she comes on, and she just shut that down. Wow. <laughs> I see you. No, seriously, yeah. Now, the super smart, you know, cute and funny girl, maybe, but the mother? (laughs) I mean, you're making me feel freaking old. (laughs) Hey, I'm old. I'm 50. Yeah, I'm an old man. Who cares? I am old. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Now, do you want to know what I'm get involved. She's going to remain quiet on this one. She knows. (laughs) She's like, no. So, yeah. Uh, with that said, you guys, you know, thanks for tuning in here. And uh, again, I didn't mean to interrupt again and, 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 you know, keep this short, although it's a little longer than we normally go. So, hey, we're doing good there. Uh, with, with that, Dr. Reedy, can you uh, tell people where to go where they can find your links to your books and your work and your websites? Yeah, I mean, the best place for people to go is Um, you know, so they can access all of the books there, um, you know, and has the links to the Amazon stuff, you know, that where you can just go directly to Amazon. And everybody, next month, Holy Deception will be released. Bam! We'll be looking forward to hearing that. Awesome. And again, everybody, thanks for tuning in beyond Reality Paranormal Talk Radio and for helping keeping this show going. Um, All the support we get from everybody around the world is bloody amazing. It doesn't get any better than that. With that said, good night, everybody. Be well. God bless. And continue doing whatever you do inside the paranormal. And with that... This is Beyond Reality Paranormal Talk Radio. I'm Evan Jensen, and we'll see you next Tuesday, another episode of Beyond Reality Paranormal Talk Radio. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just gonna circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 